Feel like the everyday chaos is getting to be too much? Head on over to winninggym.com slash BAP and we can help you there. Join our eight-week ProFit Business Accelerator program for quick wins for your gym. Check it out. You deserve it. Now back to the show. You are listening to the Built to Grow podcast, delivering the knowledge in all things fitness business. We help gym owners win. Here are your hosts, Tim Lyons and Randy Exton. All right. Welcome back to the Built to Grow podcast. I'm your host, Tim Lyons, in a special Zoom out of the mountain cabin podcast joined by randy angston as always what's up buddy how we doing good and we have a special guest today guys today we've got john briggs he's the owner of insight tax and he's on a quest to protect the unfairly treated taxpayer from massively overspending on taxes a man of my heart here he's the author of profit first of micro gyms a book that i have on my shelf today and, and read many times which uh which covers cash flow management systems for gym owners and he's also releasing a new book in January titled The 3.3 Rule, The New Workday Standard for of Creating More by Working Less. John Briggs, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks for having me, Tim. Randy. Yep, absolutely. And John, we've worked together. We've uh I've read I've started by reading your book. It was it was uh mentioned on another podcast several years ago at this point read it loved it it was kind of my second introduction to profit first methodology uh but then i ended up hiring your team to kind of set up our systems for profit first so we've worked together man and you, your team did a great job appreciate you yeah well i'm glad we did a good job for you that is our goal yeah that's the goal um and you know mike mccallowitz who's uh he, he was coming and spoke at our our growth summit he's also spoken to our uh, mastermind group the iron circle we had him come out and speak to us uh, kind of like the uh i guess the creator of profit first but then you drilled down and created like the niched version for micro gym so how does that work i mean you've got you got the profit first system and and now you've got like i think probably i think there's a real estate one and probably a dental one and you got a micro gym one how does that how does that work yeah, so about, I mean, almost five years ago, I think we're going on, Mike noticed that some of us who have niche audiences, we were tweaking the system a decent amount. And he said, hey, you know what? Why don't you license the Profit First brand and the methodology and write your own book because it'll serve your audience better. I was the third one um, who took on that challenge because what we had found is we're implementing the Profit First system. It's like, uh okay, we need to tweak that. And his percentages for normal businesses that he looked at, you know, that are across the board manufacturing service based on like his percentages don't work as far as what owners should be paying themselves, what the profit should be like those types of things compared to gyms. Um, so I felt like, you know, what, let me do my own study. Let's look at financially fit gyms. Let's add the two accounts that we're always adding anyways to what he was doing. And, you know, the rest is history. And to your point, honestly, at this point, I think there's more than 10 derivative books, as we call them. Yeah. yeah. Chiropractor, awesome. realtor, real estate investor, uh, dentist, landscape people. I mean, yeah, it's, it's, it's grown quite a bit for him. 
Yeah. And, and you were kind of, you were an accountant first, right? If I don't remember. And then you, you ended up buying a CrossFit gym. How, what, tell me what the heck you were thinking when you bought that gym. Yeah. So I don't do drugs, but some people think that I did based <laughs> on that decision. Um, we, I'd been going to this gym. Um, I liked working out and we had a bunch of CrossFit clients. So I thought, oh, let's go to the gym and that helped me experience it. And I noticed signs around the gym. I thought, huh, based on my experience with the hundreds of clients that we have that are gym owners, I don't know if this gym's doing very well. And uh, it took me enough at that point in my life to have the habit. And kind of selfishly, I'm like, I don't want to lose the habit. I don't want to lose the location. Like I have a routine and I know the danger when our members leave, you know, they potentially don't ever find another gym to go to because it totally throws off their behavior. So I just sent an email to the owner. I said, hey, you don't know me. I'm the guy that's like just above last place in all the workouts. <laughs> um, but I work with a lot of gyms. And my guess is based on what I'm seeing, you're dealing with X, Y, and Z problem. Now he should have and appropriately could have responded with, dude, I don't know who you think you are. Like stay in your lane, just enjoy the classes while they last maybe. Instead, he invited me to lunch and he said, actually, I've tried to sell this thing three times. Um, the first time I got a deal, but then thought it through and I didn't like what the guy was going to do with the community. So I turned that down and the other ones, we just didn't end up working out quite on valuation. So he's like, do you want to buy in? And I thought, you know, not a, there's no other CPA I know that's working with gyms that also was a gym owner. Uh, this could be a good differentiator for us. Plus, I wanted to know when I suggested things to the team, like, hey, we see gyms, you know, offering a variety of services, but personal training, group classes, nutrition, semi-private, those are all like common ones that we might see. You're doing just group training. Like, and and when, then we go to the coaches to say, hey, we'd like you to do personal training. You're going to make more per hour. On paper, we knew what that looked like. And now that I've lived the experience, I now know that some of the, all the coaches almost were like, no, this is ridiculous. I don't want to make more per hour. You, you can't ask me to do this. So now I've lived like the human psychology side of what the numbers tell us that we should do. Uh, but that was ultimately why I got into it. And, uh, you know, it was, it was a good educational ride for me. Yeah. <laughs> you glad you did it at least. Very glad I did it. Yeah. Okay. All right. You, that, we, we talk all the time that the skill sets it takes to run a gym are, are some of the toughest, I think, when it comes to the business, you know, the business options that you have available. Um, this, the product that we sell is not exactly desirable, much to your point, right? But uh, if you could do it and you could do it the right way and when the math adds up, obviously we've seen success in those realms. Yeah, well said, Randy. I actually, I think gym owners need almost more of a degree in psychology than like the business operating stuff. In my, you know, 10 years of experience up until that point running the CPA firm, I never had a client tell me, hey, have you thought about doing this with your tax practice? But gym owners, you literally deal with members every single day saying, Hey, have you thought about doing this? Or I don't like the way you're doing the programming. or I don't want to do it that way. And like having to balance the minority squeaky wheel with what is actually what you want to do. And if you don't have mentor support, like you guys offer, you're going to 
flip flop on ideas. I mean, it, yeah, it, it's a, it was tough. It's a tough, yeah, it's a tough run. And, and yeah, you're right. I never even really thought about it. You, you get a lot of unsolicited feedback from the clientele. Like they have no clue. It's just what they want. So I get it. There's passion. They, you know, this is their third home or whatever, second home. Hey guys, as you know, at Built to Grow, we're all about systems and scalability. And that's why I want to tell you about one of our sponsors, Semi-Private Pro. Several years ago, I was in our gym looking around and I noticed our coaches were staring at their clipboards, struggling to stay one step ahead of the clients. And I thought, gosh, there has to be a better way. So I tasked Zach, our fitness director, and I said, dude, we got to find a software that would enhance our clients' training experience and increase our coaches' levels of engagement. See, we're all about client experience here. After countless demos, we realized there was literally nothing designed for our training model. So we set on a mission and I said, look, we got to create an app that is designed specifically for semi-private training. And I can tell you guys this firsthand, this is taking our training to new heights and I'm confident it can do the same thing for you. See, with Semi-Private Pro, you can streamline your training system, enhance client engagement and scale like never before without spending hours on programming. To learn more about how you can get started with Semi-Private Pro, head on over to special link here, semiprivatepro.com slash BTG, that's built to grow. So just head on over real quick to semiprivatepro.com slash BTG to check out a demo for yourself. Uh, so let's get into some some numbers and taxes and stuff. And I was kind of mentioning to you, John, before uh, we got on this call, like this, your book was the first one that gave any true guidance on what the margin should be and what kind of allocation should be for different, call them buckets or kind of categories. Um, obviously, it comes from profit first. You said you tweaked it. Um, and I'm glad you did it because there isn't a lot of education in the fitness industry about like, what's good? What is bad? Like, what's a good profit margin? Um, you know, you, you work with tons of gyms. I, is, is, is fitness kind of still one of your main kind of niches categories or you branched out? Now? I mean, yeah, from a marketing standpoint, we still, we do a lot of marketing for gym owners. We've grown quite a bit. Um, so from a percentage standpoint, while we have more gym clients than another accounting firm in the country, we're at about 450 oh, wow. okay. uh, gym clients. Um, but we have thousands of other clients. We've sure. Kind of a concentration e-commerce real estate nice okay yeah um and, and so you know you're you kind of your i guess your guidelines you said this is what a good gym looks like is that does that still hold true and like what would you say like hey if a gym's doing this in net profit a year that's a pretty dang good operation yeah we i they still hold true um we still think about 20 percent kind of puts you in the echelon of financially fit gyms. And we've seen um, people like you and others really help people push the boundaries and they're getting to 30%. Um, I mean, so like, yeah, 20% is great. 15% still is like, Hey, respectable, but yeah. maybe you can work, tweak some things. If you're at 10%, you're basically break even and you got, sure. you, you, uh, you need to have some urgency in making changes. Gotcha. And, and, and you've seen a lot of gyms, uh, P&Ls, and I'm sure you've seen huge gross revenues in zero profit or negative, right? Like, I mean, it doesn't matter how much you make, it's how much you keep, right? I mean, I what comes to mind immediately is a client I had five, well, he, he's still a client, five locations, um, like 
gross revenue for all five locations was around like the 1.8 million mark net income 150 grand another right. client gross revenue 350 grand net income 100 grand you know it's like yeah yeah do i want yeah. the headache of five locations and all these other people uh for the same outcome now that being said a lot of potential right as soon as he became a client, we tweaked some things, got the profit first system in place, and we saw that profit margin increase. Uh, so there was a lot of potential there. But to your point, like revenue top line, I mean, in fact, I don't know if people follow, but the Inc. 5000 list just came out okay. a couple of weeks ago, glorifies top line revenue. Um, it's not what you make, it's what you keep. Sure, exactly. Yeah. yeah financially sound businesses. And like, to your point, yeah, that smaller gym, that guy's got basically the same, I guess, net take home or whatever, net profit. Oh, He's got no headaches or minimal headaches compared less. to the other guy. Yeah. yeah. Less. Definitely uh, a lot more time, freedom of time. Right. So let's, uh, let's talk about how you work with gyms right now to kind of mitigate taxes. I know there's a, a book that's probably this big, right? Of the tax, where is it? Tax code. It's like, yeah. uh, you know, and you probably have it on your shelf and you sleep with it underneath your pillow because the thing changes every 24 hours. Right. So like, yeah. what are the most, some of the most common things gym owners can do right now to say, Hey, you know what? I've, I'm taking in some profit. Obviously the more profit you have, I, you know, my, I'm sure there's other ways, but in, in my life, it's like K1 distribution to an owner, you know, it comes right to your personal taxes and you owe taxes on the profit. Like we want to mitigate taxes as much as possible. Like what are the most common uh, things that you teach gym owners to kind of help with that? Okay. Let's go over four things. Uh, lowest hanging fruit is correct entity. So an entity is your, your classification, LLC, S corporation, partnership, corporation. Some have it under just their social. So they're sole proprietors. Um, the entity selection is super important because most of them come attached. You have your income tax, you have your income tax, and then they attach a self-employment tax on top of it. So as a business owner, you're the employee and employer. And so sole proprietor, active member in a partnership, um, single member LLC with no other type of election, all of those have this self-employment tax tied to it. S corporations allow us to not have self-employment tax tied to everything. So with gym owners, depending on the other stuff they have going on, we always recommend somewhere in their structure that they have an S corp so that they can avoid that 15.3%. Um, so that's the lowest hanging fruit. If you're not sure what to do there, like talk to your tax accountant, they should be able to help you with it. I don't want to bore you all with all the details of the differences and things, but um, S Corp is definitely something you should be considering if you're a gym owner. Uh, the next one with that, if I am an S Corp, so the IRS noticed, you know, hey, these guys don't pay self-employment tax. How... <laughs> Okay, what other ways can we screw the taxpayer? Let's see. <laughs> yeah. So they force you, if you work in the business and you're the owner of an S Corp, you have to pay yourself a reasonable compensation. You have to. So you are going to issue yourself a W-2. Um, in fact, sometimes people avoid creating the S Corp because they feel like, oh, that overcomplicates things. 
I promise you, if your net income is more than 10 grand a year, the S corporation makes sense. Even for the extra like headache that an accountant can deal for you. Yeah. Uh, so um, I pay myself a W-2, but the code says it needs to be reasonable. Right. So there's not a mathematical formula. And what we have found is a lot of CPAs get to the point where you kind of feel like they work for the government and not for the taxpayer. And so the dollar amount they recommend on this W-2 is way too high. Why does it matter? Because as a W-2 payment, you are paying the payroll tax. And because you're both the employer and employee, it is the self-employment tax of the 15%. So we want that as low as possible. We want to benefit from having all of our net income not subject to this self-employment tax, but we got to be compliant. So making sure your W-2 is as legally low as possible is the next step in that journey. Third one, the mindset. The tax code tells us in order to write something off, it needs to be ordinary and necessary. Well, let me tell you what about those two really vague words. What you and I think is ordinary and necessary is not necessarily what the IRS agrees on. Sure. It's too vague. So, mm -hmm. you know, people complained of uh, the AICPA, which is a big CPA organization. They said, hey, you guys got to give us clarification. So they put a crack squad of their smartest human beings together. And this is what they came up with. We'll clarify it with two more words, helpful and appropriate. Okay. Wow. Thank you for the guidance. So- it doesn't help us. And this is the way I help people under interpret those four words. If I'm spending a dollar, is it related to my business in any way, form, shape, fashion, any way possible, then it's a write-off. Because here's the thing. Let's say you didn't know in the 77,000 pages that there was this one little exception for one little expense that you thought you could write off. If you're audited, and I can explain to the auditor, hey, this is why I thought it, it was a write-off because it's related to my business in this way. Worst case scenario, they just say, yeah, but there's a, this weird exception. So you're gonna have to like pay tax on that amount. Okay, fine. I owe tax at that point. If I don't have a story and I don't know how to connect it, like the guy, a client who wanted to write off a $100,000 belt buckle, I couldn't come up with a way to connect that. No. Yeah. Um, it you know, mine. <laughs> right. Uh, you're screwed because the IRS is going to be like, oh, you basically committed fraud because you have no idea why you paid for this out of your business. So as long as you have in your mind a connection to your business, then you should be paying for that expense out of your business account, write it off on your profit and loss statement. And that's the easiest way to think about it. And that little mindset shift for most of our new clients I mean, you're talking a few thousand dollars in tax savings because there are things they're spending money on that they, they didn't necessarily realize were legitimate business write-offs. Helpful and um, helpful and ordinary or whatever, <laughs> whatever those two. Ordinary, are. necessary, helpful, yeah. appropriate. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Oh, that's great. Okay. And then, so the fourth one, <laughs> this is the, this is uh, an amazing tax strategy. Everybody should be doing this, assuming your gym is profitable and has net income. It's called, commonly called the Augusta rule. Yeah. Um, we like to call it corporate rent because corporate rent is much more descriptive of what we're doing with the strategy. But for those of you gym owners who aren't aware, once a year in a city in Georgia called Augusta, 
these guys obsessed with a green jacket go down there and with, you know, taking their sticks and balls playing around are fighting for this green jacket. They call it the master's tournament. It's a professional golf association, PGA, like their Super Bowl. Um, so what happened is Augusta is not a very large city, but it is a very wealthy city. And the owners were looking at, wait, hold on. Uh, okay, all the hotels are at capacity. There's still a lot of other people coming in. They're paying how much for the tickets? Oh, I can rent my house out for five, six, ten thousand dollars a night. Oh yeah, I want to do that, but I don't want to pay tax on that. Um, so I don't. Most people don't realize, but the tax code is as long as it is, is because wealthy people and really wealthy big corporations pay lobbyists to get bills passed that favor them. And you know what? That's totally awesome. Yep. I love it. And so we're just going to take advantage of it. So they paid someone to go and they got this tax rule put into place that helps them. So the tax rule is if you rent a property for more than 14 days, it is considered a rental activity at that point. Therefore, you have to claim the income, you get expenses, it's filed on your tax return. But 14 days, that's the magic number. If I have a property and I rent it for less than 14 days, it is not by definition a rental activity. Therefore, any income I receive off of it does not need to be claimed. So we take that fun little rule, we combine it with the normal practice of companies holding board meetings. And we say, let's have your business, let's have your gym rent from you one day a month for your monthly board meeting. Your business is gonna take a rent expense and because you're renting your house out for less than 14 days, you don't have to claim that income anywhere. Um, the standard rate that we use on that is $1,250. Um, it's kind of a national average. You can check on like a short-term rental type of website. Um, same house size, similar geographic area. Uh, and if they're renting for more than $1,250, Take a screenshot of that. That's your evidence. Use the higher amount. Um, so we have some clients in New York City uh, or have bigger houses like $3,000, $4,000 for the day use. Um, at $1,250 alone, that creates a $15,000 rent expense, mm -hmm. which is going to save you three dollars to $6,000 in taxes. It's it's one of the best strategies well, ever. Let, we call let, it the Augusta rule. Let's dig into that a little bit more. So not only are you taking fifteen thousand off your taxable income, you're also receiving the funds from yourself. You've paid yourself without payroll taxes. It's just call it free money, but you you've you've given yourself fifteen thousand personal income without taxes, and you're saving another whatever it is six thousand based on whatever the percentage bracket you're in off of your business taxes. So, so it's a double, triple win, triple win. Yeah. It's, yeah. it's amazing. So let me ask yeah. you this, is it, is it per property? It's per property. Yeah. So we have some clients who have second locations, maybe like a cabin. Look, there's nothing that prohibits them from renting that out for a monthly board meeting. Uh, now, some people are like, I have a cabin, but I also have it listed on Airbnb. Again, it's 14 days. So if you've rented the 
property out for more than 14 days, the strategy doesn't necessarily work. Um, so it, it is per property. Hey, Tim Lance here, and I just want to give a quick shout out to everyone out there surviving the day-to-day chaos of the fitness business. You know, you're showing up every day and you got people counting on you. I know it's not easy, but you're doing it, so keep on going. But listen, if you feel like it's getting to be too much and you wanted to get some support so you can get out of the struggle and get into real growth, then I highly recommend that you check out our eight-week ProFit Business Accelerator program at winninggym.com slash grow. Go check it out, sign up, and let's get you on track for some easy wins and get back to growth mode. All right, once again, the link is winninggym.com slash grow. And now back to the show. So smart. Hold on here. Let's let's dig in even more. So if it is listed on Airbnb and you've rented it over there for more than 14 days cumulative live or whatever, you can't take the first 14 days and do tax free. Or once no, it's once past you, 14 once days, you the whole past 14. It's a rental activity. Yeah. So, so case in point, we're up here right now, both of us in my cabin in the mountains. It's not on Airbnb. It's just my second home. So we're paying myself rent to be here for 14 days. Um, If we use it for more than 14 days, but don't pay for the 14 days and there's no income exchange of those other 14 of the, of the next 30 days, it doesn't matter. Right. It's just the 14 days of income. All right. It's your property. You can use it for personal use. It's That's just right. your business is going to rent it right. up to 14 times. Yeah, for these podcasts. We're doing That's a podcast right, right now. <laughs> we're renting We're renting my house or my cabin for myself. I love it. You know, right. I, we, yeah, we're well, that, that rule has been a, a game changer for us. Um, also, you know, I've got my daughter on payroll. As soon as she was seven, I think seven was the age or nine. I think seven. Yeah, seven and a half. Seven and a half. Beautiful rule. So if you guys have kids, um, give them a job and pay them. I think what, what is it like twelve thousand nine hundred a year or something? Yeah, it's up to the standard deduction. So currently, that's actually like thirteen thousand something. Yeah, it keeps creeping up, right? So beautiful, yeah. guys. There's all these strategies, and to your point about the rich, you know, senators that own these homes and they pay lobbyists. Like, look, if it's legal for them, we can as the as the peons, we can also use. These- <laughs> rules in and we do for every single reason they do it and it's legal right. for them and uh you know and i think it's funny i think um and, and you you will you'll get a chuckle out of this like you know just throw trump's trump's name in the world like he's got all these you know high paid tax attorneys and lawyers that help him mitigate taxes legally so he doesn't pay taxes even though he makes hundreds of millions of dollars a year and me and you john and randy we're like hell yeah like high five to him, but all the regular, everybody else is like, he should pay his fair share. It's like, he's, he's not breaking the law. He's using the leverage of the tax codes. Right. And so can he's you literally, yeah, he's literally it's, paying his fair share. Yeah. If you're overpaying, yeah. that's on you. Don't overpay. It's <laughs> not your fair share. <laughs> exactly. well, one thing I wanted to ask, one thing I wanted to get to, uh, John, you mentioned that there are two buckets from profit first that you added each time that you were working with micro gyms, can you define what those two buckets are that maybe the profit first model didn't clarify that? I mean, I'm sure for our listeners are, you know, are important. Yeah, totally. And one last comment, whether it's Trump or any other rich person, just so you know, don't ever overlook the other taxes that they're paying. Those guys pay more in payroll tax than you'll pay income tax in your lifetime. So talk about paying your fair share. Let's, uh, why don't we put our energy in other fights? Okay. So 
Profit first accounts. Let, let me actually give you all seven. Sure. Um, so there's an income account, an owner's pay account, team members. That's one of the ones we added. Profit account. Tax account for income taxes specifically because payroll tax, sales tax, those are considered operating. Equipment. That's the second one we added. And then operating expenses. Awesome. So you add team members, you added equipment because obviously equipment every so often, right? You're going to need, I think you put 5%, right? Yeah. So with that, um, we actually have clients do one of two ways with the equipment. So some are just like, I'm going to put a flat amount into it. Cool. That's great. So every time that they sit down and take money from their income account into the other buckets, they do a flat amount. All right. Others do a percentage. Um, both are great because the beauty about Profit First is that it's a methodology. You've got to pick what you know you're going to be able to stick with from your behavior standpoint. Um, the other thing that we see with the equipment account is um, gym owners will get to the point, and we recommend everyone has this number in general, but it's like, man, if everything hit the fan, what's the most I'm likely going to have to pay to replace or fix my equipment at any given time? So maybe that's 3000 bucks. As soon as the equipment account hits $3,000, then some choose to stop allocating money to it. Others are like, you know what? I'm going to keep putting money here as a growth opportunity. Maybe something is going to happen and I'll be able to expand location. I can add a little bit of equipment that way, or I want to buy a building. I can save up for a down payment in here. And anything above that 3000 or whatever the dollar amount is they determined is kind of their money for like growth opportunity. Um, so we've seen it used in those different ways. Smart. And John, it, it, if, if this hasn't been invented yet, if you could just go ahead and invent this real fast, it'd be amazing. There, like, and I know Mike Michalowicz has, has teamed up with another bank, but like, is there a piece of software that I can plug into my Chase account and for every deposit that hits automatically distribute into the other six buckets in real time, my percentages? Um, so in real time, there's not one that exists. And I actually like the rhythm of having it compile in the income account and then doing it either once a week or twice a month. But RelayFi is the bank that Profit First Headquarters um, like work to deal out with. Yeah. And you can go in and tell it on these dates, I want you to take the money out of my income account and transfer it to these other accounts based on these percentages. Yeah. Yeah. And, it, and it will do that automatically for you. Yeah. I just wish like every deposit that hit, it would just like take the deposit and then the next morning go across and like, you would never have to look at it because all the bills are coming out of your, you know, OPEX or whatever. And it's just, it's, ah. I just hate going in there and tweaking stuff. I know I get it, but I actually like today, for example, this is the 25th. So today is what I call an allocation day. And earlier this morning, I transferred my money from my income account and I like it because um, I track and I'm like, hold on. Like, it seems like the dollar deposit amount is less than my last average for this time period. So I was able to talk to my accountant or our in-house controller um, like, hey, what's going on? He's just 
he wasn't up to date. The book's certainly done through the 21st. So got it. Got it. still got four days. I was like, uh, okay, good. That at least makes me feel a little bit better. But if not, it's like, yeah, all the deposits are there. Okay. What the heck happened? Did we have a bunch of cancellations? So it can like the balance being different from what you're expecting it to be can help trigger some questions. Okay. Gives, yeah. It gives you clear, clarity on where the money is and where it's going. And I mean, it's, it's your way of making sure that things yeah. are as they're supposed to be, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Yep. So what's going on with this new book? Is this uh, is just like a different niche here? Or are you talking about uh, working less and uh, creating more? What, what's it all about? Yeah. Um, it's, this is a book for basically everyone. It's not gym owner exclusive. Um, so the concept is that your most efficient work day involves working up to three hours followed by a 30% recovery period. So 3.3, the three hour, the three means up to three hours. The 0.3 is your recovery period of 30%. So if I worked an hour and a half block, I should take a half hour break. If I worked a three hour block, I should take an hour break. The reason um, I found that this works is because first of all, our 40 hour work week, eight hours a day, the way it's structured is literally based on nothing more than Henry Ford pushing this through about a hundred years ago, mainly so that people had more leisure time. So they would buy more cars. Okay. All right. And that's Smart. our work day, our current 40 hour a week. Um, yep. Studies show that our focus uh, is like a, like a muscle. It can, get, it can get fatigued. So the idea is it's not attention span um, based on the study. That's no longer an accurate term because our attention is always on something. But if I'm focused, my attention after a certain amount of time is going to drift somewhere else. Um, the guy saw this study. His name's Alejandro Yeras from the University of Illinois. He's the one who did this study. And he noticed some other studies that was from a physical sensation standpoint, um, like our clothes, for example, our body neutralizes the stimulation of our clothes. So up until this moment, you, you just forget you had a shirt on. But now it's like, oh, I can feel the cloth rubbing against my skin. Our brain neutralized that stimulus. He said, I wonder if the same thing happens with attention. So he did a study and he did find that, in fact, um, it does. And so that means our productivity decreases. So if we give ourselves permission to take breaks and do nothing work-related during that break, we will actually come back and be more efficient. Um, so we just set up these blocks. So that's kind of the general idea of what the 3.3 rule is, is. it is that does it a play uh, i mean I'm, again i'm i don't remember exactly what the ratios are but like the pomodoro principle right it's very similar right um similar. i talk about that in the book um if you look at the pomodoro ratios it actually works out to be about 30 percent break time versus work time the challenge with the pomodoro rule which for just so you guys know it's tomato in italian because the guy yeah. who created it was using a tomato timer it's like shaped like a tomato okay there you go um all the, the problem that with that uh approach is that sometimes we get in the groove and we're focused if you're focused and working on something like for me i know it's weird but forecasting in excel spreadsheets man i i love that stuff I, and like an hour or two can pass and i'm just in the zone 
Pomodoro would interrupt me every 20 minutes and it would actually ruin my flow state. Sure. Um, so it's, it's a little bit, uh, th that methodology is a little too strict. This one gives you flexibility based on what you have going on. Like, for example, we talked about Mike. Mike is more of a, I call him a sprinter. He likes to write for about 52 minute blocks. And then he takes, uh, you know, 10 to 12 minute break when he's done. Um, and that helps him. When I was writing the book, I was more of an hour and a half, 30 minute break type of guy. Cause again, it really just depends on who we are. And that's, we, that's why we need the flexibility with uh, the focus versus recovery blocks. I like it. I like it. We work with a lot of business owners on their production and their mindset and things like that. So, I mean, obviously that's a skill that translates to the business that helps with the dollars and cents, but it's a, uh, you know, it's not as it's not the same skill sets that a lot of us are used to, you know, working on and training. I mean, it's not as easy looking at a, a P&L and saying, oh, here's the gap. You know what I mean? So I look forward to reading that one. Yeah. OK, it comes out in January, guys. Go pick that up. Was it going to be on Amazon? Uh, yeah, you can pre-order right now on Amazon. Oh, there you go. Awesome. Get that pre-order out there. Nice. So we kind of jumped around a little bit. Um John, like if somebody wanted to hey work with you, you got 450 clients. You taking on any more clients right now? Is that, is that are you yes, guys, sir? We okay. we will never say no. We'll just yeah. keep growing. Keep growing. Yeah, might as well. Unlike some gym owners, and we used to run ads for them, and they would say turn the leads off because we can't handle it. Like you got you you got to make hay when the sun shines, right? Like that you've got to take advantage of it. So what's the best way if somebody wants to say hey we want to work with you, do the profit first stuff, maybe work with you in the tax stuff? What, what's the best way? Yeah, so ProfitFirstForMicroGyms.com um, is a great place. And if they're just looking for a straight up, hey, they want to get in contact with someone on our team, our tax firm is Insight Tax. So it's InsightTax.com. And that is spelled, uh, the word insight means the cause to action, often used in the phrase to cause a riot, because we think the IRS sucks. Uh. Um, <laughs> so it's I-N-C-I-T-E-T-A-X.com. Yeah, inside a riot. That's true. Yeah. So we're 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 cut from the same cloth, John. I I'm I'm willing to pay what I'm supposed to and not a penny more. And it's if you're paying a penny more, what did you say, John? It's your own fault, right? There's all not these you. things out there. <laughs> right on. All right. Well, that wraps it up, guys. Hopefully this helps you. John, thanks for joining uh the Built to Grow podcast. I appreciate you, uh, what you're doing for gym owners out there, helping them win. Um, and uh guys, thank you know, Randy, thanks for thanks for joining as well. Yeah, <laughs> glad to be here as well. All right, John. Thanks, man. Thank you. Bye. All right. And thank you for listening to that episode of the Built to Grow podcast, where we help gym owners win. Now, do you want to connect with me and other gym owners online? All you need to do is join our private Facebook group, Business Talk with Fitness Professionals. Just head on over to Facebook and type in Business Talk with Fitness Professionals. And when you do, we're going to give you our 10 marketing strategies, seven figure gym owners use to win. I look forward to seeing you in the next episode. Until then, keep building something great.